Next week, we're wrapping up this series, Finishing First Peter, and, and I hope you've been able to, this summer, get to know Peter. Like, I hope this summer, over these weeks, couple months, that you've been able to, uh, to get to know a little bit, be able to meet Peter, uh, Peter the disciple. This is the man who jumped out of a boat and walked on water. I mean, this is the one who Jesus promised that he would build his church upon. This is the one who, who swung a sword and cut off the ear of a soldier. I mean, terrible aim, but at least he swung, right? The other disciples ran. And this is the man who told Jesus, I will die for you. And then he denied knowing Jesus three times. The gospel of Luke says that when the rooster crowed for the third time, that from a distance, that, that Peter was close enough seeing Jesus that Jesus looked up, that Peter looked up, and that their eyes met. Can you imagine that? In the moment that Jesus needed Peter the most, Peter betrayed him. A few days later, after the resurrection, Jesus reinstates Peter one-on-one. -on -one. Three times, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Like, yes, Lord, I do. Then feed my sheep. And I think this is the moment. This is the moment that changes the course for Peter. Peter goes from this disciple slash fisherman to, to now this, this pastor, to, to this shepherd. And Peter makes it his life's mission to, to continue the work, to carry on and fulfill the ministry of Jesus, to feed the church. From here on, Peter becomes the leader of the disciples and 50 days later, Peter uh, preaches Acts chapter two. He, he preaches the first sermon at Pentecost. The Bible says 3,000 people were baptized. This launches Peter into the, the role of the leader of this early church, the leader of, of Jerusalem. And, and in the book of Acts, Acts chapter five, we see that the people, they, they, they brought the sick. They, they brought family members who were sick and hurting onto the streets. They lined the streets along the sidewalk where Peter walked to the temple, just hoping, just hoping that the sun would cast a shadow off Peter and by faith, their sick family, their friends would be healed. I imagine like when Peter was a fisherman, just a few years before this, like none of this was on his radar. Like, like the goal was catching fish. But God has transformed Peter from being this, this follower to a leader and now this influencer. I mean, today everybody wants to be an influencer, right? Like that's, that's the next thing. That's the big thing. My, my daughter is eight and uh, there's our eight-year-old YouTubers who have like thousands of followers and they're slime videos. Like, like it doesn't take much for an eight-year-old to be an influencer on YouTube. Hey, church, here's a question. Are you an influencer? Like I'm not talking about building a brand, having a platform, attracting followers. Like I don't care about that. Like are you, are you influencing the people who are around you with the gospel? Are you influencing those who, who God has put into your life? Are you influencing them, rubbing off on them, influencing, helping them become more and more like Christ, pointing them to the gospel? First Peter 5, this, this is an exhortation and it begins with elders, but, but I wanna apply this passage just, just very broadly. 
Uh, today, I want this to be practical, tangible. Like, I want for all of us to walk out of here today with something that we can go home and do. This is an exhortation. First Peter 5, Peter exhorts us. He, he challenges us. This is a call to action, five ways. Five ways to influence others. First way, think like a shepherd. Look at verse one. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Three quick things about elders. Elders are plural. Do you see that? It doesn't say elder. It says, I exhort the elders. Like there's, there's more than one. There, there's not one. In the Bible, there, there's never one elder. There's always a plurality within the local church. There's, there's always a, a group of, of elders leading. It never falls on one guy. And problems happen in a church when one man is, is just over everything. There's, there's no accountability. Like it's, it's not sustainable. The church does not hinge on the influence or the ideas of, of one person. It, it needs plurality. Second thing, elders are local. It says, I exhort the elders among you. Uh, Peter is, is writing to local churches. This, this is a letter that, that traveled. It's a shared letter that went from church to church. And, and leadership can only go so far. Influence can only go so far from the outside in. That you need a localness. You, you need men stepping up in the local church, shouldering and bearing the weight of ministry, boots on the ground. Leaders who, who know the people, who live with the people, who are among the people. There must be a, a localness. There's a plurality, there's a locality, and, and elders need unity. It says, I, I exhort the elders among you as, as a fellow elder. See, Peter refers to himself as a, as a fellow elder. He doesn't say, remember me, I'm, I'm the apostle elder. Like I'm the number one draft pick disciple, the, the disciple that Jesus called and chose first before the other 12. Like, he doesn't say, I am the rock elder, the elder of all elders. Like the elder that Jesus promised to build his church on like that. No, he says, fellow elder. That he refers to himself as, as a fellow elder, that the leadership within the church, is, it's not this top-down hierarchy. It's not this chain of command. It's, it's this coming alongside that Peter desires to come alongside and support as, as a fellow elder. See, that's, that's the best leadership, isn't it? I mean, not this, this ivory tower, like this like removed, just corner office, just oblivious to what's happening, but, but no, the, the one who's involved engaged, coming alongside, support. The one whose boots on the ground is there, knows what's going on. He is a fellow elder. Some elders will, will have more influence just based on experience or age, just wisdom, the gifts that God has given them, but, but there is an equality, uh, there is a unity among the elders. I want to pull this close to home for a couple of minutes and just, just kind of share uh, what the Lord has been doing this year and what the elders here at Radiance have been working on for the last few months. Uh, this church, we, we started in 2008. 
And really, we are a part of a, a movement of, of church planting coming out of Chicago, coming out of Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. So Harvest Chicago began in 1988. So when we launched, when we opened our doors in 2008, we inherited 20 years of ministry experience from Chicago. I mean, this, this is our three W's, our four pillars, our ministry values, our doctrinal statements, and our vision was clear, and, and ministry was, was aligned. We were on a mission. These last seven years, uh, we moved from a movie theater to this, our church home, 23 acres in the heart of Avon. And in these last seven years, our church size has doubled. Our staff has doubled. Our church ministries have doubled. We've added eight more acres of, of property on, on Rockville Road. And with all of this growth, with all this growth, it comes complexity. During the same time, Harvest Bible Chapel, a Harvest Fellowship uh, dissolved. Uh, this was the network of churches that, that we were a part of, the network of churches that, that helped strengthen, come alongside. And, and we've always been a local autonomous church. Ever since day one, we've always been a local autonomous church. But as the fellowship has gone away, we've, we've lost some of that influence. We, we've lost some of that just common direction, just being a part of something bigger than ourselves, and, and it's gone. And we've changed our name from Harvest to Radiant, and we're growing into this, this new name, and, and we're now a part of the Great uh, Commission Collective and just continuing to, to learn that relationship and being a part of, of something bigger than ourselves. Fast forward to the beginning of this year, 2021, and we are in this unique moment, this unique moment in the history of our church that, that God has allowed us. I mean, the Lord has allowed us to become the kind of church that we desire to be, a vertical, a passionate, a Bible-teaching, disciple-making, pursuing the glory of God kind of church. And it's by his grace, I mean, more than we can possibly think and imagine, but now what? What's next? Where are we going from here? See, when Jesus made this promise to Peter that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, when Jesus made this promise, he was talking about a place. Church wasn't a, a building with four walls and a roof. He was talking about a people, a kind of people who would become, a kind of people who would continue to carry on the, the ministry and the mission of Jesus. And so church for us now today, as we're looking ahead, as pastors and elders looking into the next 10 years, what are the kind of people that we are gonna become? What's next for us? How do we continue to fulfill the, the mission and the ministry, the, the mandate of, of Jesus and the Great Commission? What does that look like here for the next 10 years? So for the last seven months as, as pastors and elders, we, we've been meeting and just gathering together, just praying, seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you want for this place. Lord, Lord, what do you want for us as a people to become? Lord, what do you have for us next? Doing this as, as a plurality together, focused on, on the mission of, of this local church. 
with unity, seeking just a vision from the Lord that will outlast all of us. So together we've been, we've been thinking and seeking and praying and just interacting, Lord, what's, what's next? The fact that the Lord invites us into this process, that the Lord allows us to be a part of, of his plan, that this is the way that the Lord builds his church. Like there isn't a plan B. Hey, I wanna invite you to be praying for this. Be praying for the pastors, be praying for the elders, be praying for this process, praying for, Lord, what do you have for this place, the kind of church, the kind of people that we will become? Lord, what does 10 years look like from now? Church, that's exciting. I wanna invite you in to be praying for this and, and more is gonna be shared just in the coming weeks and, and months. And the first way to influence others is, is to think, is to think like a shepherd. When, when Peter wrote this, don't, don't think of, of elders in a boardroom. Think of a living room. I mean, the churches didn't have buildings and budgets. There's not a parking lot, paid staff, platform. There's not seminaries, not speakers flying in the air. I mean, these are, these are house churches. These are small groups with, with families. And God used the everyday people, just led by average leaders in tiny houses, following Peter's simple advice to build his church. And God's plan for the church, it, it depended on just dozens of these, these tiny churches scattered across, scattered across the Roman Empire in the first century during the time of the greatest persecution. And it worked. It worked because these, these people, they knew how to influence others. They weren't CEOs. Like they weren't these, these entrepreneurial startup gurus. Like they aren't academics. They're shopkeepers, farmers, homemakers. But they learned how to influence others and multiply churches. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. See, the flock of God, the flock that belongs to, to God, that, that no matter the leaders or the elders, like this thing, this church is not ours. This does not belong to us. This is the Lord's. Like it's his possession as a people, a people who will become, like we belong to God. The shepherd of flock that, that belongs to God, exercising oversight, that the role of, of the leaders, of the elders is, is exercising, that it's, it's hard work. Like there are no shortcuts. It's exercising hard work, oversight. Oversight is leadership. Oversight is, is influence. So the way that you, you hard work, exercise, influences is not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I love how practical Peter gets. He's, he's telling us how to lead, how to influence others. The second way to influence others, serve with enthusiasm. Peter says willingly, eagerly. See, not, not under compulsion, not, not because you have to, but, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, not, not in it for yourselves, but, but eagerly. See, there should be a, a, a joy an energy that, that comes from, from serving others, not a drudgery, but, but a joy and a passion, like this, this just desire to be serving others with enthusiasm, 
serve with enthusiasm. Verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. See, the third way you influence others is, is you lead by example. Not domineering, but being examples to the flock. See, here's the problem today. I think that more people today are trying to influence others with selfies, not serving. I, look at me. Like, like, look what I can do. Look where I get to go. Look what I have. We went out with some friends last night to Opa, a great restaurant. But I'm not taking pictures of my food. Like, nobody cares that we serve others with enthusiasm, that, that we lead by example. But church, we're losing like we are losing at this. Like the world is not impressed because we have to do something that is different. If we want to influence others with the gospel, we, we have to change our approach. We have to change the, the, the way that we desire to influence and come alongside others and follow Peter's simple advice. Think differently. Like, like try a new method. Do something different. What's that? Serve. Serve with enthusiasm. Come alongside and serve with joy, with energy, willingly, eagerly. Lead. Lead by example. Like put yourself out front. Be vulnerable. Initiate. Step up. Step out. Do something different. Lead by example. Hey, church, who's your flock? And maybe you're a, you're a business owner and you have employees or, or you're a manager and you have people who are reporting direct to, directly to you. Maybe you're a parent, a coach, a teacher. You have influence. If you're on a team, a part of a team, if you're involved with a group, like you have, the Lord has put people into your sphere of influence. You have opportunities to come alongside and influence others. It doesn't matter if it's one or a hundred that God has given you people in your life, entrusting you with that role to be an influence to them, to be pointing them to the gospel, to be making Christ known in just everyday realities, everyday conversations. And the Lord wants to work through you, through the ordinary, to be an influence to others. Like this is how he builds his church. There's not a plan B. The Lord wants to work in you and through you to be this influence. See, there's a difference between being a cowboy and a shepherd. A cowboy, a cowboy leads with compulsion, right? A cowboy leads with compulsion. They're, they're yelling, they are prodding and poking and pushing. They're, they're threatening and intimidating. Like the cowboy is always in the back, like nipping at the heels of the herd, trying to push, trying to move the herd forward. But a shepherd, a shepherd leads from the front and the sheep follow. A cowboy is, is rough and tough. A shepherd is patient and gentle. Shepherds move slow. Shepherds build, build trust with the sheep. A cowboy, a cowboy doesn't stay overnight. A cowboy moves the herd, shut the fence, get in the pickup and go home. But a shepherd, a shepherd stays, a shepherd feeds, a shepherd pursues the lost, cares for the hurt, comes alongside, a shepherd smells like sheep. Hey, are you a cowboy or a shepherd? 
How do you come alongside and influence those who the Lord has entrusted into your care? Number four, the fourth way that we influence others, we take the long view. Take the long view. Look at verse four. And when the chief shepherd, when, when Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus appears, when, when Jesus returns, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, that in ministry or, or leadership or, or parenting, influencing, you've got to take the long view. Like, I think this is one of the hardest things in ministry, that we want closure, we want results, and we want things that are measurable. We, but that's just not how sanctification works. Like you can't, you can't put holiness on a pie chart. Doesn't graph. Like it's, it's easy to become discouraged when, when you're looking at short-term results, but keep the long view in mind. See, we, we want growth. We want change. And we're committed to discipleship and relationships and progressive sanctification, but, but it takes time. It takes time. And so we take the long view that we are faithful to what the Lord has called us to until Jesus appears. That we take this long view of, of influence. When our kids were, were babies, uh, Krista put these, these marbles in this jar. The marbles represent uh, one week, one week that we have with our kids from birth to graduation. I mean, when we started, the, the, the marbles couldn't even fit in this jar. I mean, you can see, like, we're, we're getting halfway there. Like, time is slipping through. But we are counting the time of, of influence that we have with our kids. So every Friday, Krista gets a reminder on her phone to take one marble out as we are counting down the weeks. It sits in our, in our living room that, that we want to see. We want to see that the opportunities the everyday weeks that we have with our kids, realizing like we're taking the long view. It's not just about day. It's not just about this week. It's not just about this month. Like we are stringing together moments and milestones, seeing time we have with our kids. Parents, you've got to take the long view. Celebrate wins. I mean, celebrate the wins along the way. But take the long view, the time that you have. I mean, you've heard people say the, the days are long, but man, those years, those years are short. In small groups, as we're getting ready for small groups, if you're in a small group or a small group leader, man, it's about relationships. It's about discipleship. It's about becoming more like Jesus. This is progressive sanctification. It takes time. We don't have instant results. We can't microwave this stuff. It takes faithfulness and perseverance and endurance. It takes time. Hey, if you have maybe neighbors or, or coworkers, uh, people that God has placed in, in your life and you have a passion just to be influencing and coming alongside them, you've got to count conversations, not conversions. Count conversations, moments that the God gives you to just talk. Maybe share the gospel, maybe not, probably not. Opportunities to speak words of hope, words of grace, praying for these people, coming alongside and just initiating that relationship, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable. We, we count conversations, everyday, ordinary chit-chat, not, not conversions. 
we take the long view. We, we trust God with the results. We're patient, we're, we're patient. We, we are persistent. We, we are faithful to what we have. Hey, at work, work hard. Show up every day. Initiate. Put yourself out there. Salt and light. That's how we do this. That's how we influence others. See, we, we often overestimate what we think we can do in the short term, but we underestimate what God can do in the long term. That we are dependent on Him, trusting Him, seeking Him for the long term results. Like we are a results driven society. We just are, as, as Americans, as, as Westerners, like we're so focused on, on the results, but the results are not up to us. They never have been. We are called to, to scatter the seed, to plant, and then to water. And see, influence is like water. Influence, it, it should be life-giving. It should be refreshing. It should be nourishing to those who are around us. And then we trust God with, with the planted seed that, that he will generate and cultivate that spiritual growth. We can't do that. We can't manufacture or force that. We plant and then we water. The way you influence is, is like water. Is your influence on others refreshing? Is it life-giving? Is it nourishing? Is it coming alongside support and, and helping the seed that's been planted? Trust God with the results. See, how do we influence others? We, we have to think differently. We've got to think more like a shepherd. We have to serve, like serve others. Serve with enthusiasm, with joy, with energy, with passion. We lead, we, we step out, lead by example, be vulnerable. We, we lead by example, then we take the long view. We take the long view, trusting God with the results. The fifth way, the fifth way we, we influence others is, is we wear humility, not anxiety. Wear humility, not anxiety. Look at verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, uh, be subject or, or submit to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares See here in verse five, Peter shifts his attention from, from elders to those who are younger, the call to submit, and, and then to everyone. He, he steps back that, that all of us, the way we are to treat one another is, is we are to put on, we are to wear humility, not anxiety. At first, this is an odd connection. Like, like how do these two go together? Humility with anxiety. See, see God is calling us to influence others. And when we step out, when we, we make ourselves vulnerable to the opportunities that God has given us, that can create some anxiety. When we're called to, to follow, to submit ourselves under the leadership of the, of the elders or the local church, like, like following and, man, submitting, like, well, that creates anxiety. When you serve others, when, when you lead by example, that you are exposing yourself because leadership exposes our, our weakness. I mean, it, it showcases all of our inadequacies for others to see. It, it puts us out there. So we wear humility, not 
anxiety. About a month ago, our family, we, we came to the, just the hard decision of, of we had to put our dog down. I, mean, I don't know if you've had to do that. Like that's, that's just the worst. That's hard. Wrigley, 12 years, just a good dog, but it was time. And it was sad, but I was super emotional. Like, like I came in and Krista kind of looked at me like, what is wrong with you? Like, I went on this walk because I, I realized like, whoa, I, I am way more just worked up and messed up. Like, this has got to be more than a dog thing. Like, like something's going on. So I go on this walk and I'm, I'm just kind of trying to process, just trying to think. And I, and I realized like, I think the reason I'm just, I'm just so upset, the reason I'm, I'm sad, it's, I feel like I'm quitting. Like, I feel like I'm quitting on this dog. I felt failure, and then I realized it's not about Wrigley. It's, it's about the last year. It's about the last two years. It's just about the last, just the swirling of emotions, of just feelings, of just, man, I feel like a failure. Like life and ministry and leadership, just all of it just starts, relationships just kind of start pressing in. It's just easy to get overwhelmed. It's, it's easy to, to feel like, man, my, my weakness has just been exposed. So what do you do? What do you do when you just feel like you're just confronted with your weakness? When you feel like a failure? when your emotions just feel like they're beginning to, to take over and all of your inadequacies, all of your insecurities are just standing right in front of you. Like, what do you do? What did I do? I picked up a rock. Like, not, not metaphorically, like, like literally. Like, I live out in the country, and so on the gravel driveway, like, I, I picked up a rock, and I threw it. casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, in the original Greek, verses six and seven, it's, it's one sentence. Peter doesn't say, humble yourself and cast your anxieties. No, Peter says the way you humble yourself is by casting your anxieties. That humility is the process. Humility is the prerequisite. Humility is how you, you release your anxiety to the Lord. And so you throw your worries, your weakness, your fears, your doubts. You chuck all of your inadequacies, insecurities on the Lord because you don't have to wear that. You don't have to carry that. See, marriage takes humility. Parenting takes humility. Leadership, influencing, coming alongside others takes humility. Have you noticed that, that you never outgrow anxiety? That there is anxiety at every stage of life, from infant newborns to toddlers to teens, 20s, Adults all the way through empty nesters, every stage there's anxiety. It just shapes, it just forms, it just takes on new meanings. A couple of weeks ago, we were on vacation in Michigan as a family. We go to the same spot every year, northern Michigan, and there's this lighthouse, one of our favorite places, this lighthouse out on the beach. 
And uh, I mean, just the, the sky is just massive. I mean, there's, there's boats out on the water. I mean, it's just filled with color. And we go there to watch the sunset. And here on this, this beach, the shoreline is just covered in, in these little rocks and these stones. And there's so many colors. All of them are polished. We just love coming to this place. And there's crowds of people. I mean, crowds of people are gathering just to watch the sunset here. Well, we, we, we go here every year. We, we usually go to the same spot a couple times during the week. And, and my son, who's 10, like he's, he's over sunsets. Like, like you've seen one, you've seen them all. And so, you know, the rest of us, we're, we're sitting on the blanket, like on the sand, like watching the sunset. My son, he's, he's down by the, sh- the, by the shore, just, just throwing rocks. Like not one, like for 40 minutes, just, just throwing, just skipping, just releasing. He's like a cannon, just throwing these rocks. There's all these people like trying to take pictures of the sunset and all these selfies. And he's the one like bent over in the background, just picking up these rocks. We don't hold on to them. Like we don't, we don't carry it around with us. Like we don't, we don't look at it and admire it and see the polish and the shape and the colors. Like, man, you, you release it, you throw it. You chuck it, you get rid of it. Like we don't have to carry it. You get rid of it. See, that's how we handle anxiety. Peter doesn't say, cast your anxiety on God so he can fix it. No, he says, throw it on him because he cares for you. And in fact, God doesn't promise to remove our problems, to fix our problems. He just says, you don't have to carry it anymore. The same word used for, for cast is only used one time. One other time in the New Testament, it's on Palm Sunday, when people took off their garments and, and put it on the donkey that Jesus rode. You see, that we, we don't have to wear anxiety, that, that we can, can actually take it off, that, that our worries, our problems, our fears, our troubles, the weakness, we can take it off and put it on the one who can carry it. It's not up to us. We weren't made to bear that emotional burden, to carry that weight. And so we can take it off, release it, put it on the one who can carry it. Peter says, cast all of your anxieties. Like not some, not the big one, not the small one, not just a few. It's not up to us to pick and choose. Like we just release it. We just throw it. We just get rid of it. We cast it, all of them on him because he cares for you. See, I want this to, to, to be an encouragement, to be a call to action, to, to challenge you today that, that if you are carrying something, it's time to release it. Go home, get a rock, come out to my house, find a rock and throw it. See, in doing this, you are, you are humbling yourself. You, you are depending on the Lord, trusting the Lord, releasing this unto him. See, it's all by faith that we do this, that the Lord is, has made us physically, he has made us spiritually, he has made us emotionally. And so our feelings and our emotions, they matter. But our feelings must be led by our faith. And so in faith, we, we, we release our feelings. We release our emotions to the Lord, casting them on him. We, we take this to the Lord. That's how we keep feelings in check. Verse six, humble yourselves. 
but therefore into the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. This morning, I've wanted us to be practical, tangible. I mean, I'm praying this week that, that you will take something, take one thing home this week and get after it. Let's be a church of influence. Let's be a, a men and women. Let's be people both here and at home, wherever God places us, that we would be pointing others to the Lord, that we can be a place, a place that's becoming, a place that, that is, is, is seeking a, a new way, a different approach to reach the world who is around us, that as we are desperately trying to point people to God, that we can be planting, that we can be watering and nourishing, life-giving. This is what it means to be radiant. Let's pray. Lord, we, we seek you first. Lord, we, we go after you, humbling ourselves in complete, Lord, just humility and transparency that that we don't have what it takes, that we cannot do this on our own. Like, Lord, we need you to move. Lord, we need you in this place. Lord, that your spirit would be filling us, empowering us, enabling us, Lord, to be men and women, people of influence, that we can be salt and light, Lord, sharing you with others, making you known in just everyday life, everyday conversations. And God, when life gets hard, when, when things just, you feel the weight and the pressure, the expectations, just that burden, Lord, that may we release them to you. God, that we can give up all of our fears and worries and doubts. Lord, that in our weakness, God, that you may be made strong because your grace is sufficient for us. God, you care for us. How incredible that sentence is that you, the almighty, the matchless, the one who is overall, cares for us.